Coming up on this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. So the question is always going to be, um, and will be for time immemorial, uh, are we going to submit our minds and our pretended autonomy to the truth of God's Word, or are we going to say, I'll be the judge of truth and right? Uh, The one is the pathway of the Christian, the other is the pathway of unbelief. Twelve, and this is episode number 14. Now, last week we had an episode, and this week we have two broadcasts scheduled, so our normal routine of doing one a week is somewhat accelerated, thanks to my good friend and fellow seminary student, Josh Sparkman, for double-booking me this week, but that's okay. I don't mind. We have a great lineup this week of discussion, and I hope everybody enjoys what they'll hear and hope that feeds and edifies their walk with Christ as they go about this. A couple of things to uh, announce uh, up front. Number one, we do have a new website that is specifically geared towards this podcast and releasing information, resources, links, books, that kind of stuff. And the website address is simply confessingourhope.com. So you can listen to the podcast there and find out more information about the guests I've had on the program or are going to have on the program as well as links to websites, blogs, and so forth that will help you keep up to date with all the resources that are flowing through the Internet world, uh, even as we speak. Also, and more excitingly, I think, um, I have been approved to have a professional company design a a mobile app for the seminary. This is going to be a high-quality application that you'll be able to download to your smartphone and listen to this podcast and other resources that the seminary puts out wherever you may be. So look for more information about that. It's probably six to eight weeks from being released in its fullest form, but I just got a word today that that is something we can go forward with. So I'm really excited about that, and again, I will release that information, uh, how to get it when the time comes. So just stay tuned, and I'm sure you will enjoy that particular feature of the seminary. Again, this is a broadcast, a podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. You can find out more information about the seminary at gpts.edu. And I am your host, of course, William Hill. If you have any questions about, the, about this podcast, you can simply write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu, and I will do everything I can to respond to any email that I do receive. Today on the program, we have the pleasure of talking with a graduate, of Greenville Seminary. He received his MDiv here and is now a PhD candidate at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. That, uh, our guest, of course, is Gabe Fleur, and he is the pastor of Shiloh Presbyterian Church, and it's a mission work of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Cary, North Carolina. So, Gabe, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you for being patient and, and enduring my introductory remarks as I typically do. But anyway, it's great to have you on to talk about these three different books that you've written, and especially the last one. Well, 
thanks so much for having me on, Bill. And just to clarify, I just edited those books. Um, I am not in the company of the men whose addresses I edited that formed the books. So not a writer, just an editor. <laughs> sure. No, no problem. Now, you're, Gabe, you're doing your Ph.D. work at Westminster uh, Seminary, Philadelphia. What is your Ph.D.? Uh, what, is the, what area are you doing the work in? I had the pleasure of uh, doing my Ph.D. under uh, the leadership of Dr. Scott Oliphant there in apologetics. So uh, I'm working on some various areas of research uh, with him, and uh, it's, it's been a great joy for me to do that. And uh, it's, I just consider it a great blessing to have the privilege of studying with him um, and Dr. Tipton and Dr. Gaffin, among others there. Great, great. Now, you are a mission work in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, is that correct? We are, very much so, and very proud of it, and uh, very thankful for the Lord's blessing on uh, Shiloh Church here in uh, Cary, North Carolina. Um, it's just a, a real blessing to be in the OPC and do church planting with the OPC. So we're one of two Orthodox Presbyterian churches here in, um, here in the Raleigh area, and one of only about five or so Reformed churches. So it's a needy area. Uh, it's an area that, that, that would uh, do well to have a lot more Reformed churches planted. So if there's any uh, church planters out there, we, we need you here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. That's great. Now, do you have a, does the church have a website by any chance? We do. Just uh, log on to shilohopc.org. Okay. So if you are living in that area of North Carolina and you are looking for a Reformed congregation to attend, um, there is an Orthodox Presbyterian Church work going on right now. And you can find that information um, on the website um, as uh, was just given. Now, Gabe, you, you have edited um, three different books. And, and uh, the first one was on the atonement. Uh, the, the second one was on these last days. And that was co-edited with uh, Richard Phillips? Yes. Okay. And then the last one, which is the one that the more what I want to focus on more in our conversation today is uh, the title of it is Solid Ground, the Inerrant Word of God in an, in, in an Errant World. And there's a number yes. of wonderful guys that have written, um, written for this, this particular work. But let's back up and talk about the work on the atonement. What was the genesis behind that um, to, to produce or, or publish that work? Well, atonement and um, solid ground really are of a piece, and that is they are the chapters in the books are taken from the PCRT, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, addresses from the past 30 years or so. Um, as you may or may not be aware, and the listeners may or may not be aware, the, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology was started in the early 70s by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce of 10th Presbyterian Church, and it was really a, a, a banner, as it were, to gather folks to declare the great truths of the Reformation. So uh, early on, scholars like J.I. Packer, Dr. Boyce, uh, R.C. Sproul, Others uh, came on to do these conferences, and I was asked by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals in 2009 to edit um, the best of uh, those conference, uh, conference addresses of the past 30 years on the subject of the atonement, and then in the most recent book, the subject of the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, the middle book, the uh, Sol um, uh, These Last Days, that was from the, I think, 2010 or 2011 conference on, on uh, Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, and that was a Christian view of history, so it deals with eschatology, um, and that, uh, again, was co-edited with Rick Phillips. So those are not historic addresses from the PCRT, but um, uh, just the addresses from the, one of the most recent conferences. The other two volumes do contain the historic addresses, um, and hence you'll see folks like John Gerstner and 
uh, Dr. Boyce, Dr. Packer, Dr. Sproul, folks who've, who've had a great impact on North American Presbyterian and Reformed thinking. And it was a really uh, great privilege uh, for me to be able to edit those, those volumes and really just soak my soul, as it were, in these great uh, teachings on these very important and timely subjects. Sure. Now, what got you interested in editing a book in the first place? And maybe uh, follow that up with what goes into editing a book of this nature or of the uh, uh, for uh, of these titles that you just offered. Well, I think you know it's uh, no no real great secret on how I got to to do it. Um, uh, Rick Phillips, uh, who I worked with at Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina, it was my pleasure to labor with him for about three years there before I went to Philadelphia. And uh, Rick very kindly asked me if I'd be interested in doing something like this, and I, I thought I'd try my hand at it, and uh, the Lord was gracious. Um, so what, what essentially the process involves uh, is they, the, the alliance that, that is that they I'm referring to, they get the transcripts of the addresses, and they come to me without any punctuation, nothing. So it's just a verbatim transcript of the address. And my job was to make those read like book chapters. So it involved kind of trimming things down and punctuating and um, a lot of work <laughs> to make it read like a book chapter instead of a verbatim address. So the challenge was to keep the distinctive um, flavor, if you will, of each, uh, each speaker, uh, edit it without being too much of an editor and letting my my writing style speak instead of Dr. Packer's or Dr. Boyce's because they are different. So that was the challenge that required a lot of listening to the addresses to make sure I got their points right. Um, and when you, you work with somebody who's you know doing a transcript, uh, they don't know a lot of the names. Uh, Dr. Carl Bart showed up to me as, uh, I think, Carl B-O-T-T, bot. <laughs> so whoever was transcribing it didn't really know who that was. So it's all, that, that was one of the things, too, is uh, I would sit and listen to these addresses as well. And, you know, frankly, Bill, I, can you think of anything better for a guy out of seminary to do? <laughs> no, not at all. To, exactly. Sit and listen to great teachers of the faith and then uh, have the pleasure of editing um, their addresses to, to fit into book format. So that was the process, and uh, the Alliance very kindly asked me to do it again, and uh, that's where we are, are with these three different volumes. Now, since we are short on time today, I know you have to be off the air by 2 o'clock or so. I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about the last book. I think it's the last one in the, in the series of three that you edited this one being specifically on the scriptures and the as the subtitle is the inerrant word of god in an errant world and and i and i i gotta say right up front i i that subtitle is somewhat well it's difficult to say out loud but it it's it's got some interesting aspects to it we we readily as christians i think will admit and, st and state up front almost without thought that the, the bible is the inerrant word of god but i think oftentimes we fail to see it in the in the light of the reality that it's the inerrant word of god in a world that is largely at error in many many mm -hmm. ways and when you compare and set those side by side um the scriptures stand alone in in, in every capacity um, to any written material that we have, magazines, other books, even though there may be great books, um, the scriptures themselves are are uniquely inerrant uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to everything else. Um, 
why this book now when so much has been written on that subject? I mean, are, are we, has the church reached a place where it really doesn't need to, to revisit this thought, or is it something that we really need to deal with still today? No, I think we're, as uh, Dr. Boyce predicted almost 35 years ago, uh, right at the close of the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, he uh, stated that he thought the issue for us in the next 30 to 50 years would be the issue of hermeneutics. And the Enlightenment chickens of Kant and others have come home to roost in the higher critical views that many, if not most, so-called evangelical scholars hold today in their views of the scriptures. So I really think we're just at the threshold, uh, not at the back door, so to speak, of needing much more publishing on the question of inerrancy and hermeneutics and the interplay between the two. So I think the reason we said why now uh, is in collaboration with um, Presbyterian Reform publishers, which have just been fantastic to us to, to do these three books, uh, was the need to um, bring the, the voices of great scholars and pastors from the past and the present together to speak with one voice on the bedrock of our epistemology or our theory of knowledge, which is mm. the inerrant word of God. And we must trumpet that truth today. Uh, we must defend it, and we must do so with vigor. And there's few men more qualified than the folks who contributed to this book uh, to do that, I think. So that would be my, my first response. And the second thing is I'm very pleased to see that as this book came out in the spring, I see at least two or three other books on inerrancy that have been released as well. So uh, as my, my friend Rick Phillips likes to say, you know, heresy usually brings out the best in orthodoxy. So <laughs> um, um, I'll be happy to see more of these kind of titles being published, and it was nice to to have a different kind of voice um, with you know, multiple different contributors, uh, men who are well-respected uh, and who are good communicators of God's Word, um, have something in book format to give perhaps to the layman. Um, you know, some of the more recent stuff that's come out is, is of a more scholarly nature. Uh, I think this is accessible to everybody in the pew. Um, makes a great resource for family worship and things like that to think through uh, with our children and with others. A uh, good discussion group book on these very central and important issues to the very heart of our faith. Mm, absolutely. Now, we throw terms around, I think, and, and I think we naturally do it, um, depending on what circles we're running in. But when you say the inerrant word of God, I know what you mean. And, mm -hmm. of course, you know what you mean. Um, but there may be people who are thinking, well, what does that mean? It sounds like it means without error. Uh, what is inerrancy? I mean, what, what do, how do we define that word? I think we can do no better than the, uh, the original motto of the Evangelical Theological Society um, 60 or so years ago, I think, which is uh, the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is the Word of God written, and therefore without error in its original autographs. And to unpack that very quickly, what we mean when we say inerrancy is not that the Bibles we hold in our hands have no textual variants. That's kind of one of the buzz topics right now. Can we trust the New Testament because of all the different variations of the various manuscripts that have come down to us through the ages? We don't mean that there's no variations. What we mean is that when God gave the Scriptures, there is no error of doctrine or fact recorded anywhere in the Scriptures. And we must be clear on that. So when it speaks to something about the natural world, say, for instance, uh, the age of the earth, or when it speaks about creation and who Adam and Eve were, we mean that no matter what scientific evidence may be promoted or promulgated today, the, the truth of the Word of God stands forever. 
And that's where we need to kind of plant our flag, I think, and stand firm today. Mm. And, and why is that? I mean, how necessary it is, is it for, for the world to have a book that claims inerrancy and is, in fact, inerrant? Well, I think is uh, um, if I remember correctly, um, I'm trying to remember which one of the contributors has a great essay on this. Mm-hmm. I think it's if you look at um, Dr. Packer's essay in the book, he brings out uh, the importance of this doctrine from the John Calvin onwards and what it means for our Christian lives in typical lucid J.I. Packer style. Uh, he points out that it's central to our faith. And really, if we step back and think about it, um, if, if we lose inerrancy, uh, what do we have left? We have a book that we get to stand over uh, and really judge, as it were. So the question is always going to be, um, and will be for time immemorial, uh, are we going to submit our minds and our pretended autonomy to the truth of God's word, or are we going to say, I'll be the judge of truth and right? Uh, the one is the pathway of the Christian, the other is the pathway of unbelief. And those are the only two options. Yes, and now referencing this book more specifically, uh, the following chapter after um, Dr. Packer's letter, uh, um, Ligon Duncan has a, a whole chapter on the sufficiency of Scripture, or as, as it's titled, the sufficient Word of God. And there's another one of them terms that we we kind of throw around and we use, uh, and and we kind of know what it means. I mean, we we think we do anyway. What what does that mean? Even mean the, the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, I think uh, Dr. Duncan puts it so well in that chapter there when he speaks about um, what he's what Paul is telling Timothy. He puts it like this. Um, Paul is telling Timothy that he has to live and minister by the book. He's telling the whole congregation that they are to live and minister by the book. And that's a really succinct way of putting it, I think. And that is that when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, it means that everything from our doctrine to our practice is regulated by the Word of God. And we don't need the help of outside sources um, to... um, I don't want to choose my words carefully here. Um, Let me say it this way. Let me say it uh, positively. Outside sources such as science or extra-biblical research or archaeology can be useful to help us understand the Scriptures better, but they are in no way an authority over the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. So that when we come to the Scriptures, we have a clear and present word that speaks to us in every area of our lives. And as Dr. Cornelius Van Til, the great Westminster apologist, put it, does not mean that when we speak of the sufficiency of Scripture that the Bible is a biology textbook, but it does tell us how to think about biology, so to speak. So that if we find anything in extra-biblical research or in scientific research that contradicts the the sufficient Word of God, we are to stay with the Word of God and not what the outside voices tell us. Yeah, and and if the Bible is sufficient, and if it's inerrant, what does that mean on a practical level? Um, maybe now you're going to have to take that Ph.D. hat off for a second and throw your pastor's hat on, if you will. Uh, what does that mean for uh, God's people? Um, well, as doc, re- the, you know, Dr. Devers, I'm sorry to interrupt you, brother. That's okay. I was no, going to say, Dr. Devers' chapter in there, in Solid Ground, is just excellent on that, mm-hmm. because he talks about what it means for a church to stand on the Word of God. And Dr. Boyce has, has a, a wonderful chapter on that as well. 
Uh, and what Dr. Dever points out is the fact that the Word of God is sufficient for the people of God to, for our daily lives. It meets every one of the needs we'll have. So when, and, and Dr. Duncan points this out as well, if you go to your pastor and say, hey, I want the preaching to be more practical, if he's preaching the Bible to you in the way the Bible demands to be preached, then it, perhaps it goes with you and not with your pastor. And that's something we've lost today is that we need somehow gimmicks to make people listen to the gospel. We need to rearrange our worship from that which is regulated by Scripture to that which appeals to uh, worldly interests. We need to rethink how we're going to do church planting. We need to do it in a way that is much more worldly uh, and much less uh, carefully and theologically self-conscious. And that is all in, all in all, those kinds of things are manifestations, as it were, of a practical denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah, and, and staying with that theme, and this is a subject that I'll admit candidly and personally that brings me a, a certain level of, well, I, 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 get, I get, sometimes I get a little frustrated, I guess is probably the word, um, when I talk with other brothers and sisters about their Christian walk and their relationship with Christ and, and how things are going, and then I probe a little bit further, and I'm, and I'm sure you've had the same experience where you, you probe a little bit further and you find out that people aren't reading their Bible, they're not mm-hmm. spending time in it. Um, how, do you, how do you respond to that pastorally? I mean, wh- other than just simply saying, you know, let me encourage you to read your Bible each day. Let me encourage you to meditate on God's Word each day. Uh, that sounds like a, almost a platitude. I mean, of course you're going to say that. But do you find that the church or the people in it, generally speaking, are more or less in Scripture? Well, I think we it's it's tough to say if they're more or less. I mean, obviously as a pastor, I see both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I see folks who are in the Word daily, and I see others who, who are not often in it. I think one of the greatest needs we have to recover the sufficiency of Scripture is the sound teaching of uh, redemptive historical hermeneutics uh, in the tradition of Gerhardus Voss, which I know uh, I learned at Greenville Seminary and had strengthened um, what I learned at Greenville Seminary at Westminster. And if I think one of the great needs we have for our church members is to see the overarching unity the Spirit has given us in His Word. And that is that we see from Genesis to Revelation, God is doing things. He is acting in history, and it's all tied together. Uh, I think one of the, the recent denials of the inerrancy of Scripture wants to do expressly what Voss warned against, and that is to hunt for little systems in the Bible, to use Voss's language. And that is that by, by that I mean to see the diversity of Scripture, as they'll put it, uh, rather than the overarching unity of the Scriptures that the Spirit has produced in us. So I think if there's one great need, it's for folks to see how does the narrative of Abraham fit into what the Bible teaches us about the Gospel? and really start to plumb the depths of that in your meditation and really open folks' eyes to the connections Paul makes with that, um, the connections that our Lord Jesus himself makes with the scriptures uh, of the Old Testament. So I think that's one of the great needs for folks to see today because if they, if they come to Chronicles in our pews and they, and they read it and they think, wow, this is kind of, kind of boring, if they're going to be honest with themselves. What I think a pastor's job to do is to say, well, let's, let's see how this points us to Christ. 
let's see how this looks backwards to other acts of redemptive history, and let's see the underlying unity the Spirit's given us there. And I've watched folks' eyes light up when they do mm, that, mm. and seeing the depth of the Scriptures. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we can read it for our entire lives. And I've, I've, not, only been, I've not been a Christian that long, only about 10 years. You can see the, the glory of God uh, in the Scriptures that way. You see His, his wonderful uh, care and providence and preserving in His Word for us and uh, making it something that's living and active in all its parts from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, that's well said, um, and 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 I echo echo what you said as well, and and hope to see that resonate and 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 really sound forth from the pulpits in America. Um, if nothing else is needed more, I think that is certainly uh, necessary and needful uh, for God's people. Now, in this book, um, I forget who the author, uh, Doctor, the late Doctor Boyce, um, did a chapter on. Scripture alone. Now mm-hmm. that that phrase has taken a lot of heat and a lot of uh, beating up, as it were, uh, over the since the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, when he talks about Scripture alone, or as Protestants, or, re, or more specifically Reformed Christians, when we talk about Scripture alone, what do we mean? Do we mean we can't read any other books? Uh, what what exactly is the, gen- the, the 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 core of that phrase, and and where does it come from, and why do we use it? Well, I think again it goes back to the the question of the sufficiency of scripture, and as Doctor Boyce points out in this chapter, when we say scripture alone, we mean that it alone is what is going to be our authority, so that everything else is subordinate to it, our confessions, our catechisms. But what it doesn't mean is uh, is that we don't learn from other places. Again. Uh, can we learn things from studies of Second Temple Judaism? Of course we can. Uh, can we learn things from studies of the ancient Near East? Of course we can. The problem that's happening today is that folks who are interested in, to use my two examples, Second Temple Judaism or uh, ancient Near Eastern um, origins myths, is that those become regulative for how we are to interpret the scriptures. That gets things exactly backwards. Because it presupposes at the outset that God has not worked and spoken in history in such a way that the God who is revealed in the scriptures is totally sovereign over that history. So that when we look at other things around us, while we can learn from them, our presupposition is those were brought by God's providence to pass. Certain events in Second Temple Judaism, you know, ancient Near Eastern events, what have you. But that w- how we understand those things is always and only governed by the writings of the apostles and prophets, which are inscripturated for us in the 66 books of the Protestant canon. And that alone is what governs our life, our practice, and our doctrine. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and when I was re- talking about you know, the attacks, I mean, typically our Roman Catholic friends will mm-hmm. threaten us on this subject, saying that the only authority you have is Scripture alone, and the only way you get that authority is because Scripture says so, and it, it somewhat seems somewhat circular. And I was talking with a friend of mine recently about the issue of circular reasoning and how that it is circular, um, but it was something we have to be afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of that circular argument. It's as you said, it's a presupposition that we bring to the table that says this is the word of God because God said it is. And right, um, yeah, I think we want to, that's a good point, Bill, and we want to highlight that. But the other thing we want to say is, uh, 
uh, John Frame points out in one of his works that while it is circular, it's a circle that can be defended. And there right. he's simply following the best of Van Til. And uh, I think that I have a philosophy background, and you know, one of the things that becomes very obvious is that everybody reasons in a circle. And the question is, is your circle true? And we don't thereby fall into relativism when we say the scripture says it's God's word and therefore we believe it's God's word. What we're really talking about there is what the Westminster Confession calls the self-attesting authority of scripture. And what that means is that it is one of those documents that comes to us as the word of God and because of who the God that's revealed there in the scriptures, we're either going to take him at his word or we're not. And again, if you choose not to take God at his word, you get to inherit all the philosophical problems that have plagued Western philosophy, that have plagued Roman Catholicism, that have plagued Eastern Orthodoxy, Mormonism, what have you. Anybody who wants to add or take away from the scripture's authority over the past two, three, four thousand years, uh, you need to be prepared to uh, accept all those problems if you don't take God at his word. Mm. And so we believe those things because he's revealed them to us, but we also want to I think, have a, a good doctrine of the Holy Spirit here. He promises to lead us into all truth. And the, the Apostle Paul tells us that if we are born again by the, the Spirit living within us, that he will direct us to the truths of God's Word. And so when we're talking with our Roman Catholic friends, um, and there's, there's wonderful resources in the book about that as well. I think Dr. Boyce addresses this uh, somewhat, and um, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Packer as well, uh, and maybe perhaps Dr. Sproul. When, when we look at these things with our Roman Catholic friends, we want to say, well, the tradition argument, that that's the only way we can know, A, that the scriptures are the right books that we have in our canon, and B, what the right interpretation of those books uh, is, the only way we can know that is by the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, that's just as circular, um, if not more so. And then we need to point that out gently and work through the nature of that circle. Yeah, and I think that's well said, and, and, and I'm glad you said it that way, because as I was trying to explain to my friend that, you know, and as you had just said, that every argument at some level is is circular and in in. And, and it's a question of how well or how tight that circle is it, it, more than any other thing. And um, especially when you're talking about the Bible, because I, I simply asked my friend, I said, well, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? And he started to say, well, because God said so. And I said, well, that's circular. And he, right away as he begins to say it, he realizes he's walking right into it. And the question is, how do we defend that? How do we use that information in a, in a cogent way? to precisely defend the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. Um, That's right. That's exactly right. And so, now, uh, pressing further into the book, I know we're running really short on time, and I just want to get somewhat towards the end of this um, sure. book. Just out of curio curiosity, though, was this book put together in a structure, in a way, I mean, like I see, there's eight chapters, I think there's eight mm -hmm. chapters, yeah, eight chapters, where they arranged in a specific, in that specific order for a specific reason, well, I mean, as, as folks know who, who, who are involved in publishing, I, I don't really have the last say on that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so there, there's a whole team at PNR that goes through and, and, and does that after I do the editing. But I'm pleased with the way and, and have been just thrilled with the work of PNR and how they, they work with editors, and they're just tremendous. But uh, I, I do think that the, the rationale behind choosing the different chapters was addressing a particular characteristic attribute or um, – doctrine of scripture. So, uh, for instance, I think one of the most helpful chapters in there, they're all good, um, but I think particularly for today is Dr. Riken's chapter 
on postmodernism and hermeneutics and interpreting the Word of God rightly. Uh, what he says in there is so helpful for the present climate. So uh, that was one of those things where it shows, why, I think, why we as an editorial team chose to, to um, put this particular chapter that ended up in the book. Uh, so we looked at, at who was doing what, what they were speaking on, um, at which conference, and how we could use those to play up to the strengths of each speaker, and also to address what we perceived were the attacks coming to Scripture today, and uh, not only to address those attacks, but also to positively set forth what the Scripture, uh, what the doctrine of Scripture really is. Mm. Now, I, I got to say, the the one chapter that really reaches out and grabs me. Um, personally, is the last one. Oh yes, Dr. Clemmy. Yes, on on how scripture relates to preaching, or mm-hmm. preaching relates to scripture. I mean, I guess it really doesn't make any difference which way you say that. But um, just in fact, how important is that last chapter? Well, that's that's uh, if there's one um, uh, one real big personal stamp on both atonement and solid ground. It's the last chapters of each each of those books because those are the ones that I kind of gave pride of place to my uh, my calling as a preacher to. I wanted to include in these historical volumes one volume, uh, one essay each uh, on preaching. So for atonement, I had one by Alistair Begg, and here this one by Dr. Clowney. I think what Clowney highlights so wonderfully is that God has used preaching to bring about revival in his church. He has used, wherever there has been a great movement of God's spirit in his church, it has always been because of the preaching of his word. And that really ties everything together in my mind. Um, If we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, if we believe that Scripture alone is our guide, if we believe that it is inerrant, then we will simply seek to exposit that word faithfully week by week and call men to faith and repentance and to watch God's Spirit work with His Word. And we will not uh, rely on our own clever devisings. Uh, We will not rely on our own reasoning, important as that reasoning is, uh, informed by Scripture, to witness and reason uh, with the truth of the Word of God uh, to other people. Uh, But at the end of the day, we come as needy sinners ourselves, as Baxter put it, preaching to dying men as a dying man. Mm. And I think Clowney, Clowney, um, while I have significant disagreements with him in other places, uh, does a fantastic job of bringing that out in this chapter. Now, given everything you just said about preaching, how does that apply to the person who is not a preacher, but they come Mm -hmm. each week, and they sit in the pews and they hear you or some other uh, called man of God to preach in the pulpit, um, what is their responsibility? Well, and that's why I, I like Clowney's essay, because he speaks about what happened to him um, when mm-hmm. he was in Switzerland, um, and this, where he preached, and you know, God did just an amazing work um, with these students he was preaching to. And I, I include chapters by preachers, not simply for preachers, uh, as, he, as he noted, but for those in the pew, because... If if those in the pews don't understand the importance of preaching for the life and health of the church and really uh, for the advancement of the gospel, then they're not going to value it and they're not going to value men who preach. They're going to value men who become CEOs. They're going to value men who are good uh, marketing specialists for the Church of Jesus Christ. Instead, what we want is people in the pews convinced uh, as much as their pastor, that the word is the one thing needful. And I think that reading that chapter, they'll see from Clowney's examples from George Whitfield and others, 
that God has been pleased to do this, and therefore they'll be encouraged to pray. Uh, Dr. Dever has a wonderful application section in the, in the last part of his chapter to this very question for church members on what to do to pray for their preacher to start preaching the Bible if he's not doing so, to find a church that preaches and teaches the Bible, that believes these doctrines, and that stands on them. Uh, those are rare things in, in these last days, to use the title of the other book. And, of course, I mean that in an amillennial sense. <laughs> um, but what we see is, uh, is folks who need to be informed of the importance of preaching, to hold it in high esteem, and to see the usefulness, as it were, uh, at the end of the day, uh, of the preaching of the Word of God for the health of their own souls and the health of the church. Yeah, and I, and I really do, I, I was just flipping through it when you were talking about um, Mark Dever's comments in section, right, the, the last section on page 103 where he says, what does, so what does this mean for our churches? That, of course, yeah. referencing Scripture and its authority, simply that the preaching of the Word of the, of the word must be absolutely central. Let me say it again. The preaching of God's word must be absolutely central. After what we have studied, it shouldn't surprise you to hear that sound. Expositional preaching of God's word is often the fountainhead of the growth of the church, as it was in Martin Luther's own experience. And I think what you just said, coupled with what he says here in this chapter, is, is it, it, while not profound, but it's remarkable to see the church, especially in the 21st century, doing everything but that, to try to generate growth, but real growth comes from the preaching of God's word, and and I, and I, and it, it just boggles my mind when I when I see other things going on that that sort of supplants or sets that off to the side. Oh, we have it, but it's really not the central aspect of what we do as a church, and that's sad in a lot of ways. Um, yes. Given given everything we know about the scriptures, how we got the scriptures, how God preserved the scriptures, so that we would have them in our own hands. Um, week after week. I know you're short on time. It's uh, the We've reached the top of the hour, and I don't want to keep you any longer than we need to. How can people get a copy of this book, Solid Ground, The Inerrant uh, Word of God in an Errant World? You can log on to AllianceNet.org, the website of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, or uh, stop by if you're in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, log on to the Presbyterian Bookshop and buy it from Greenville Seminary. Um, if you're anywhere else around the world, just head by Amazon and you can pick it up there or at WTSBooks.com. Okay, great. And I'll have links to this information on the ConfessingOurHope.com website for those who may be interested in getting more information or, or getting a copy of this. It's not expensive. I can assure you it's not expensive. I bought it, and I'm a seminary student, and I don't have any money. But I bought it, so um, it's not that expensive, and it's as, as was indicated earlier, it's not a difficult read, but it'll challenge you. I can assure you, it'll challenge you in some areas uh, where you probably do need to be challenged. Um, and so I would encourage people to get a copy of this, read it, digest it, uh, use it in family worship, as was suggested earlier as well. Gabe, it's been great talking with you about this. I, I wish we had more time to to dive into some of these other areas that you that you raised and this book raises um but perhaps another day we can do that um when we have a little bit more time but i do appreciate your your labors and uh wish you well in your phd work and um but thank you for being on this program to talk about this thanks so much for your time i really appreciate it bill you're welcome and we'll continue to pray for you and your mission work there at shiloh and thank you. God, god would bless it and uh, bring much fruit for his kingdom there as well Great, thank you so much. 
great. Thank you. You've been listening to an interview, a discussion with Gabe Fleur. He edited a book, actually three books, but the subject of our conversation today was on a book that he edited, um, Solid Ground, the Inerrant Word of God in an Errant World. And again, I would encourage people to get a copy of this book if they can, um, and I will make that uh, information available on the ConfessingOurHope.com website. Coming up real quick, Thursday this week, um, I will be talking with another graduate of Greenville Seminary, Ryan McGraw. Uh, he's doing his Ph.D. work in John, on studies of John Owen. And but we'll be talking with him, not about John Owen, but about his book that he did on the Lord's Day. Uh, it's a subject that I think is timeless, and it needs to be talked about more. Um, for some reason or another, Christians in today's world have this, uh, I, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say repulsion, but they've somehow justified their attitudes about the Lord's Day. And I, and I fail to understand it. But anyway, we're going to talk with Ryan McGraw about his book and that subject. And I think it'll be a very interesting and edifying conversation. So tune in at the end of the week to that discussion here on Confessing Our Hope the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Again, as usual, you can write me, Confessing Our Hope, at gpts.edu with comments or questions about this podcast. So we hope you've enjoyed this discussion. Hope it's whetted your appetite a little bit about this book and made you a little more hungry about the inerrant Word of God. And until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition. And God bless.